Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is Bake from Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from Frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. We pride ourselves on the right to vote in the United States. But what are we voting for? And how are our votes counted? And does any of it really matter? Today, we tackle the trouble with U.S. presidential elections. There has to be a better way, y'all. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We're really excited. We've got a big show planned. We're tackling election reform. So the t-shirts are in. I hope many of you have already received them through the mail. And if you want a t-shirt, a Pantsuit Politics or hashtag crazy moderate t-shirt, go on PantsuitPoliticsShow.com and check it out where you can also subscribe to our email list, find links to follow us on Facebook or Twitter, or become a supporter of the show. So many options on PantsuitPoliticsShow.com. There is nothing that makes me happier than seeing pictures of people in our t-shirts. Yeah. And they're also just ridiculously soft. I mean, it's sort of a side note because we didn't know until they showed up ridiculously soft. Yeah, they're pretty much my favorite t-shirts ever and not just because they say crazy moderate, which makes me happy. It's true. It's true. Well, so we are going to dive right into the pearls today and talk about a couple of Senate races. We've heard from people that you like to hear more about the down ballot races. So we are here to please. Um, it's getting real in Arizona. When is it not real in Arizona? Their political landscape is crazy. I'm just putting it out there. Well, that's true. This would be John McCain's sixth term in the Senate. Sixth. Sixth. But he is in a statistical tie right now with Ann Kirkpatrick. And she is, like, going at him over Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, which, um, 
spoiler alert, I think is how, like, from here till November is going to go for every Republican. Yeah, no kidding. No. Ki- so wait, is Kirkpatrick a primary challenger? No, she is a Democrat. Okay, well, I mean, so far in advance. There is a lot of unhappiness with John McCain in his home state. Like, there was a county GOP in Arizona that, like, passed a resolution to support anyone but John McCain um, <laughs> in a GOP primary. So I, I don't know how this is going to shake out. But Ann Kirkpatrick is being extremely aggressive, raising a lot of money. Um, John McCain emails me, I don't know, every five minutes trying to raise money as well. It, this is a big deal. And I think... John McCain is such an institution in a lot of ways, and I think a pretty important voice in the Republican um, section of our Congress. So we'll see how this goes. Well, I think after six terms, there's no way you're not making a lot of people mad, I'm just to be honest. Well, I thought the same thing, and I appreciate you saying that. You know, how could you serve this long without ruffling a lot of feathers? There's just no way. No way, no way. But also gaining a ton of institutional knowledge that you'd think could be pretty helpful. So it's sort of like, which way does the pendulum swing? And John McCain has had his, like, amazing periods and then his crazy periods, right? And it's kind of gone back and forth. But overall, I don't know. I think he's pretty important. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. And then in New Hampshire, it's also getting very tight. Uh, Kelly Ayotte is being challenged by Governor Maggie Hassan. And this race is interesting to me because the voters in New Hampshire tend to be more moderate. And the line of attack from Governor Hassan seems to be that Kelly Ayotte has succumbed to the right wing of the Republican Party and isn't truly representing New Hampshire voters. And she is really using uh, Merrick Garland's confirmation as an example of that. There's a ton of pressure on Kelly Ayotte to give Merrick Garland a hearing. So that's another one that's that's interesting. Yeah, because I feel like that's the sort of partisan shenanigans that New Hampshire uh, voters would have very little tolerance for. Yeah, and I like that about New Hampshire voters, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I dig, I dig their sort of uh, no-nonsense ways, I'll be honest. So we're going to just move on to complimenting the other side because we have a lot to say about election reform, so we're keeping the pearls short today. Sarah, do you want to go first? Well, I'm cheating because we were just talking about him, and I'm going to compliment John McCain. Um, I think that John Cain, John McCain is an incredibly complicated figure, but I sort of dig that about him. He's a human being. I don't agree with a lot of things he's said or done, but I think that he is profoundly human and shows a lot of vulnerability. And sort of at the end of his the, that presidential race, I just felt bad for him. So, you know, keep keep doing keep. Keep trying hard, John McCain. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to compliment Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. This guy, I think, has done a really respectful job of honoring the victims at Sandy Hook Mm. by making uh, gun regulation really his sort of reason of being um, in the United States Senate. He is constantly tweeting about victims of gun violence across the United States. His website is filled with sort of his experience uh, with tragedy and what he thinks we need to be doing about it. And none of it feels opportunistic or cheap in any way to me. Like, I think he was a person who was genuinely affected by a tragedy and wants to do something about it. I mean, I don't think it's an accident that any politician that got near this tragedy met the parents, probably saw things the rest of us didn't see. President Obama and Chris Murphy are profoundly affected. Also, side note, because 
I read this and I meant to bring it up and um, at least part of our show. I read recently this great piece called The End of Empathy. It was written by um, Harris Whittles. It's the producer of uh, Parks and Rec and he died of a heroin overdose and it was written by his sister about some of the ugly things people say to her and her mother online when they're expressing sorrow over the death of their son slash brother. And she was saying that one of the fathers at Sandy Hook who's like kind of spoken openly gets so much hate mail from people who think Sandy Hook was a conspiracy and faked like nasty, nasty death threat, hate mail. How much did the government pay you to fake this, this, this man who lost his son in the most horrific way I can imagine. What is happening? That's awful. Is that not the most horrendous? I just decided I didn't want to carry that by myself and y'all had to hear that too. I'll share that piece. It's really good. I think that's a situation, too, where you just have to look at that and think, you know what? I'm sorry for this person that that's the world they live in. Well, Chris Murphy, hats off to you for keeping this in the forefront, for showing your humanity, I think, around such a crisis and for really kind of pushing forward. And it's it's a hard road, as we've talked about before with gun regulation, but um, I appreciate the way that he has tried to honor something horrific that happened in his state. All right, so we're going to jump into election reform, and we got a lot to say about this. So in today's section of the suit, we're tackling election reform. It's a big subject. And I was thinking that when we were getting ready for the show, Beth, I decided that my prickliness over election issues, I think, comes down to an undertone that sometimes happens when we talk about election reform that I don't particularly care for. So I think I'm a pragmatist and I'm always, but I'm sort of an optimist. So I'm always in, in, in favor of improving systems. But I think what bugs me sometimes about election reform, especially in this cycle, is that there's this undercurrent of that the system is rigged. And I really, in the in sort of referencing back to my um, comment about Sandy Hook, I have very low tolerance for conspiracy theories. So I think that's why I get so prickly about election reform is because I don't, I have no problem like assessing openly and honestly in a nuanced way what's flawed can we actually change this? But like the idea that I feel like there's such an undercurrent in this conversation about it's rigged. It's like all a big conspiracy for one side to win on the other. And I just don't basically think either side is good enough at winning to sort of support that theory. So I guess that's my, this is my precursor to any discussion about this. Like I'm all about election reform. However, I do not believe the system is rigged. <laughs> well, I think the system is deeply flawed. Mm-hmm. And I think the system has over time come to produce outcomes inconsistent with majority views. Well, and that benefit, I'm not arguing that it doesn't benefit certain parties and that certain parties have not learned and adapted and the system has not adapted to people with power and privilege. Like, that's not what I'm arguing. I just, the idea that it's like this mass, it's just any sort of hint of a, it's a mass conspiracy of such and such over such and such. Like, you know, if it was really, and I'm talking about liberals too, if it was a really mass conspiracy from the Koch brothers that we, none of us are powerless in the face of, then Obama wouldn't have won a second time. So 
I don't know. I just don't have a lot of patience for that. Let's just break it down. I thought maybe, Sarah, we could follow the outline that I used in the primer on this, where we sort of start with the primaries, then move on to the general, and then talk about financing, and then wrap up with some of the proposals that are on the table to change these things. Looking at the primaries, one of the major things that comes to mind for me that I find troubling about the primaries is the timing of them. And the fact that we're always beginning in Iowa and New Hampshire, and I'm not sure that's very representative of the entire United States. And I do think those contests, whether it's because of the media frenzy around them or just the digital age where we get to know everything and we all like wait with bated breath over these counties in Iowa. (laughs) But I think that those have come to mean so much that we need to take a step back and rethink this. Also, bigger, sort of bigger picture on timing, need it take so long? Like when the candidates had to ride trains and horses and we had to send letters discussing our political beliefs with our family on the Oregon Trail, like that was one thing, but need it take months and months anymore? I'm just really not sure that's completely necessary for everyone to like feel educated and know what's going on. Like I sort of like, I like that there's there has to be retail politics involved. I think I like that they have to at a certain point, sort of get down on the street level and meet people one-on-one. I think that's great, but I don't really don't think it needs to... Str- I mean, if if anything comes out of this cycle, can we all agree this is drug on too long? See, I'm really conflicted about this, and my, my disclaimer is we should probably just go ahead and subtitle this when Beth says unpopular things, because <laughs> um, I have a feeling that almost every opinion I have about all of this is going to be a minority view, but... I think the length of the process, exhausting as it is, is important. I think that we learn a lot about people as time wears on. I wish that the media did as good a job at this stage of the process as they do in the Iowa and New Hampshire phases, not just like following everyone around and like salivating over every word, but really vetting these candidates because... They're going to be president for four years at least. That's a long time. Like, I think we should take our time choosing the leader of the free world. But, dude, the primary in the general election is like two years. Or at least yeah. it feels like I that. I mean, it feels like it because they start their exploratory committees so early now. But I don't know. If you think about major corporate transitions, you know, su- succession planning done well is a long-term process. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I get that point, I guess. Yeah, it, it's exhausting, but but I also have some patience for it because I think it's so important. Well, I mean, I guess I guess my thing would be the vetting. I think it there really it does reach a point where really you're just seeing how much awfulness with regards to the election they can go through and still be standing and and within any true grasp on their own personal values or ethics. But as far as sort of, I mean, we've seen it with these debates. Like we can't ask them anything else. Like, at, the, at a certain point, campaigning is just them answering. Like, we can't really see how they're going to handle a foreign policy crisis or a natural disaster. Like, the vetting is just questions and answers at a certain point. And really, I think that we could exhaust that portion of the program in less time. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. 
to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. I agree that that's what's currently happening. I think if new people ask the questions in new types of forums and they ask real debate questions, like the number of interesting conversations and revealing discussions that we could hear from these candidates, I would hope would be infinite. But right now we are just doing the same dog and pony constantly. Well, I think you're, I think even though I, I like to think I'm an optimist, I think just optimist, I think describing the presidential primary in any universe as ever um, looking like a conversation is probably wishful thinking. I don't think it's, I think campaigning can't, I mean, on smaller levels, but on a presidential level, I just don't know. Well, that's a good segue to what I think we should talk about next, which is how these votes are counted. Let me say this first. So in my perfect world, Sarah, I would have a national primary day. I'm just at a point where I think we ought to all vote at one time. I think it can be a long lead up. And in any universe, I think it's going to be a long lead up, right? There's too much 
um, money and politainment or you know whatever that phrase is for what our news is supposed to be now. There's too much to be made of presidential races for it to not be long. But I think we ought to all vote on one day. I think we ought to have about a week to get that voting done and that all of it should be electronic. Like I, as much as I'm a state's rights girl in a lot of context, I'm over seeing these states like incapable of getting their voting done well. And I think we just need to look at the system holistically and use some technology and figure this out. Well, I totally agree with the voting part. Like the Lord knows I would love to vote on like an app. But I just thought of something because perhaps I am a candidate and this is how I think. Like, that would be really difficult. I mean, you're just starting a presidential campaign. The amount of money and, like, manpower you would need to lo- to launch a campaign on that level. Really, you, I mean, you do what people, what I don't really want either, which is them just being in, like, California and Texas. You know what I mean? Like, like that's the only option they'd have. Well, so I think that's true unless you went, like, very radical with all of this and thought about a a system that is different from the current system of the the first-past-the-post voting. Okay, I feel that. Okay, so what if you did this in a couple of stages and maybe you had a couple of national primary days Mm -hmm. and you sort of winnowed the field? I mean, that's what happens in my race, right? My primary goes from 12 to 8 people and then 8 people to 4 because it's not a winner-take-all. You get 4 people. So that's a that's going to produce a better result, right? And I also like voting systems where you rank candidates in order of preference instead of just voting for the winning candidate. Ooh, that would be so I wish we could do that here at our city commission race. That would be great. Cuz if you could do that maybe in the first round, like think about this presidential election cycle. If Republicans had been able to rank order our candidates instead of basically strategically trying to vote against the Dark Lords, (laughs) what kind of like seeing the way this field was shrinking down, I think it would have been vastly different. Think about somebody like a Jeb Bush, who was the second choice of a huge amount of people. Right. But they didn't vote for him because they thought it wouldn't matter if you ranked those candidates. He, I, I mean, I'm going out on the limb. I think he'd still be in. Yeah. I feel like a, a ranking system, national primaries, but maybe in two stages would produce much more information, at least for the voting populace, a far better shake at it for people who aren't as well funded. And you'd go into the conventions. If you keep the conventions as they are now, let's say you don't even mess with superdelegates and all of this garbage that both of the parties layer into the process. Maybe you keep all that. How much better informed are they and how many more choices do they have once it's convention time if the voters have been ranking their preferences all along? Yeah. Okay. I I mean, I get that. And it'd be nice if they still had an option. So like in our race, you, a lot of people are like kind of groups suicide vote. So they just vote for one candidate. So if you had one option, I mean, you, so let's say you could do both. You could rank or you could sort of make your vote if you're super supportive of one candidate. I mean, you give options to the people who are pragmatist and the people who are passionate about one candidate, really, if you do it that way. So are you for open or closed primaries? I think this is the other thing we need to talk about before we move on to the general. Truthfully, closed. You're voting for a representative of the party. Shouldn't you be a member of the party? Am I being too close-minded? I think that's a completely fair argument. And I think the way I feel about this has a lot to do with how I feel about the Republican Party. So I don't know if I can separate the 
marginalization <laughs> that I feel from the Republican Party, from my opinion about this. So I think I, I, I favor open primaries. I want to know what independents think. And I, I especially think as the independent population grows, which I think is the only certainty coming out of this election, I, I want to know what those people think and where their heads are. And if I'm voting on behalf of a party, I'd like to have that information too. I mean, anybody out there thinking Ted Cruz is a good, viable Republican nominee, I think has lost all nuance, you know, mm-hmm. and, and would, and we'd be served by having more, I mean, Ted Cruz is winning when they're closed primaries. He's very open about that, right? Because he appeals to the rightest of right wing and is not going to appeal to independence. And that's not some conspiracy theory. That's just a fact. And I think that information is important and it's relevant. I also think if you're a protect the two party system kind of person, you might favor open primaries because if we have closed primaries, it seems to me more likely that a third party will emerge and be pretty successful. But don't you want that? I think that would be great, but I'm just making the argument, like I'm saying kind of wherever you stand, doesn't an open primary system serve you? I don't know, but I it, it's hard for me to justify these closed primaries, especially given the way things have gone down this year. I think the closed primary sort of can, like, sort of say what you just said. It can perpetuate an adapt or die within the party, but I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not like we haven't lost a party before. Remember the Whigs? Everybody, no, you don't, because it was 100 years ago, but more than 100 years ago. But, you know, it's not like we haven't gone through that transition before, and so if that's necessary, then I'm I'm not opposed to a system that sort of pushes the party into those types of transitions. I guess is what is my point. So if it sort of crystallizes things so that you do have an a third party or people realize they're not represented by the party, like, I guess I'm okay with that too. Like, I, I think it holds the, the parties more responsible and I'm fine with that. You think a closed system holds the parties more responsible? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it can. I think it can do that in a way that is different from having an open primary, but still, like I said, sort of crystallizes what the parties are really about. For the party activists in particular. Whatever happens with all of this, I am strongly in favor of more information being out all the time about, like, if there's a cutoff to register, people should be, like, you shouldn't be able to go down the street without seeing where when that cutoff is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right now, I think it is so incredibly difficult, unless you're a person who's already engaged, to keep up with the political process at the state level that it's just it's just wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's wrong how hard it is to figure out how your state counts votes. Yeah. Right? To understand is it proportional? Is it proportional by district? Is it winner take all? Is it winner take most? I mean you have to do some serious research in most states to find that out. And that's ridiculous. I don't know what we should do about that problem, but I think that we should be on top of that problem. And that's another reason that I think a national primary day would help. If it could just be the same in every state. If it's going to be closed, we could say, here is the cutoff deadline for registration, right? Here is the window of time to vote. Here's how we're counting these votes. We should just be upfront about all of it. No, I agree. All right. So let's talk about the general election then. I am also in favor of this ranking idea in the general election as opposed to just first past the post. Okay. I'm, li- I'm listening. <laughs> So I think this is another spot where we would be served by not worrying so much about strategic voting and actually voting for people instead of against people. 
And if you could rank candidates, so let's say we get to the general election and it's Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. And about every other person I talk to says, oh, I don't know who I'm going to vote for in that scenario. I'd like to vote for just somebody else, but I don't want to waste my vote. So let's not like let's get to a spot where you could, as your first choice, select a third party candidate and as your second choice, choose the lesser of the two evils. I think that would be really good for our democracy. Yeah, but I'm just not sure it makes third parties any more viable. I think it would take a period of years. I think cycle over cycle, you could get there in the long run. I can't I don't think it can make anything worse. I mean, if we're really going to shift things around, then I always had, we had a professor at Transy that was really into the parliamentary system so that it's less about sort of voter support and more about party support. And if they can't get legislative support to get things done, then they sort of have to scrap it and start over. But that would really be, I mean, it was really, the reason I keep thinking about this is I heard some advocacy with regards to sort of our general presidential system overall and how we're basically the only democracy that's done it successfully and you know can we sustain it and I think that's what we're seeing right now is like we're straining to figure out the general election and the primary because our system is pretty unique it doesn't feel that way to us because it's always ever all we've ever known but presidential systems overall aren't particularly successful and I hope that what we do with is particularly after this cycle, is figure out a way to work through what, what is clearly a transition in our system and trying to figure out a way. I, and I guess my sort of concern with election reform, particularly at the presidential level, is how much different is it, difference is it going to make if we don't see some of these changes in our legislative branches and at the local level? I guess that's sort of my also my problem when we talk when I talk to people about their frustration with this election cycle. Some sort of at the Samantha Bee's rant, which is like it's just not the only election that is that matters. If you only get it at the elite level and they get frustrated that the system's run by elites, well, you know, there's a lot of the other elections where you could really make sub- substantial changes about how we vote. Yeah, I think that's true. I just think that um, because the presidential election, right or wrong, promotes so much engagement, getting it right at this level should filter down. Oh, see, I disagree. I think it's got to go up. I think the only way it probably will ever work is if it goes, especially like in Kentucky, from my personal experience, it just works from the way the party's up from like the precincts. And it's just, it's all, it all is grassroots and changes flow up. So that's, that's really interesting. I I definitely don't think it's going to funnel down. I think that that is way too much big of a, big of a lift for the way our democracy works. Well, I mean, I think, and and I know that we're going to get emails like um, tracing our two theories about this to whole lots of a whole lot of things about our philosophy. So <laughs> ready for that? Look, I would love for it to flow up. I think that is a really big ask for some of the reasons that we've talked about as far as local political engagement, and I think technology and media and the way that we engage in presidential politics now. It, and I'm not saying that it's going to create a perfect system. But I think getting people excited about the presidential race is an opportunity to get them excited about other things as well. And if they feel disenfranchised by the presidential race, I think the likelihood that they're going to get involved in local politics is very low. That's Mm -hmm. all I'm saying. We're going to talk about presidential politics. We have to talk about the electoral elephant in the room, which is the electoral college. Which is a big problem, in my opinion. First of all, because it ignores so many people who are American citizens. 
Well, I'll tell you, I've mentioned him before, one of my former law professors, Jamie Raskin, who's running for Congress in Maryland. I know that he passed as a state legislator. He sponsored a bill, and I, I'm pretty sure they signed in it. It's sort of a national movement that would basically eliminate the Electoral College because every state would pledge to that their electoral votes would go to the popular vote winner. The National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. That's yes. it. Yeah. I think 10 states maybe have signed off on this, and it wouldn't go into effect unless you had enough states to get to 270, which is the number that you need to win the Electoral College. Uh, District of Columbia has signed on for that as well. I think it's a great idea. My problem there is that it still ignores U.S. territories, which sounds like not a big deal, but it's more than, like, if you put five or six United States states together, you would still have fewer people than who live in those territories. You know what I mean? Like, it's a significant number of people living in U.S. territories, U.S. citizens living abroad, right? There, Like, there are people who have a big stake in the outcome of this election, who just get sort of cast aside in the electoral college process. So I, I'd like to see that change for sure. And I also just think it's disenfranchising to think about, like, I always think in Kentucky, well, I can go vote, but it doesn't really matter because we don't have enough electoral college votes to, to swing something one way or the other. So my concern with all this sort of the primary, how do you feel like we protect against... You know, I, I guess that's always sort of my hang up about discussions about electoral reform that really push the, this pure democratic model. Because then what happens when all of our presidential politics takes place in California and Texas? Well, that's what I don't what I don't want. Yeah, right? I know. And- but I don't know how we protect against that with by running everything on one day or getting rid of the electoral college. Like, I don't I mean, I feel like there's some there's interesting parts of our system that might not seem on the face to be purely democratic but sort of make sure that those small the smaller states is annoying as the Iowa caucus can be you know I, I do like that it's this small state and that they have to go and meet people I don't know I I don't know how to protect I don't know the answer I don't know I know that a purely democratic system is appealing but I really don't want it to just become a numbers race at the at the biggest state level where everybody else gets left behind yeah, I think that's an important point, and I don't have an answer to it. Um, I think that happens because of the Electoral College today, right? You want to win the big states. This primary, and part of what's been kind of helpful about the length of this primary is that we've gotten a harder look at how what primaries and caucuses look like in more states, which I, th- I think we're concluding here also that caucuses, as interesting as they are, are probably not a healthy thing. <laughs> I don't know. I like confrontation. I love the idea of like yelling and trying to get somebody on my side of the room. But I understand that that makes me unique. (laughs) Well, no, I think that's great. It's almost like, could you have a caucus process in advance of a primary vote? Like, can you take the good things about that discussion and about that sort of community visibly sorting out its support, but then have a primary where like, We can recount if we need to. And it's done in a system that makes sense. And we're not just relying on like, oh, I saw 10 people in that corner, right? If only we had fancy machines, Beth, you know, some sort of calculating that could identify you by maybe, let's say, your thumbprint. Fancy. mm, Let me think on these fancy machines that we could all have access to instantaneously. 
Well, and an interesting thing, there's a proposal from two American political scientists, Bruce Ackerman and James Fishkin, for a a new holiday called Deliberation Day that would supplant President's Day. And citizens would be invited on Deliberation Day to participate in community discussions about upcoming elections. And they would get paid for their involvement in those discussions on the condition that they vote. That sounds like something out of Hunger Games. It's kind of, it is kind of like creepy science fiction-y, but also has some appeal. I mean, I think that's what we're saying. Like, there's value in the Iowa caucus process. I don't know. If you want to see the flaws in the sort of randomly selecting citizens, let's take a look at the jury jury system because it doesn't always turn out so well. Yeah, I don't like this as, like, I wouldn't do this. But I love the idea of opening up space for those conversations and encouraging them in advance of people voting. So the other huge issue in our electoral system is uh, the Benjamins, or soon the Tubmans, which is an exciting side note in our history. It's finance and election and money in the election system. So I would like to hear how you have you feel about this before I start saying really unpopular things. Um, I would like to tell the Supreme Court that I do not believe money is speech. We can start there. I don't think money speech. I don't think it's free speech. I don't have any problem limiting the ways that people can spend their money with regards to um, electoral spending because I don't think it's speech. I just don't. My husband and I fight about this a lot. He does. I don't. I just don't. I think that free speech is sort of um, inherently based on the premise that everybody has equal access to it. Everybody can open their mouth and talk for the most part. Yes, I understand a lot of people have access to media outlets and it's not all equal, although... Hey, the internet's making it a lot more so, but we don't all have Coke brother money. So I just really, really disagree, disagree with the, the fundamental premise of many of our election financing legislation and Supreme Court decisions. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I don't have a problem with Citizens United. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> or with sort of 501c4s or any of of what we have come to talk about in terms of how money is ruining elections. And I recognize that that makes me sound like the devil. But put even if you put aside for a second whether corporations are people and money is speech and all of the things that have become you know, shorthand issues for this discussion. In my view, we all have an obligation to be engaged in these processes. And when we talk about limiting the amount of money in the process, I think it diminishes us as humans in two ways. The first way is I think it insinuates that anyone can be bought. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. I think there are genuinely people running for office who can take tons and tons and tons of money in order to fund their campaigns and not return the favor. I really believe that. And maybe that sounds naive, but I mean, I know lots of people in my life who could not be bought, right? Most of my friends and neighbors, I would say, cannot be bought. And I just think that it really treats us as undesirable, unseemly human beings to say that all of us are for sale. So I I reject that notion. And then the second way that I think it's diminishing is that voters can't see through slick, shiny advertising to what's really going on. And I think we can. And while we may not always like the results that we get in the process, and sure, some people are only exposed to television advertising, we all have the opportunity to learn more about our candidates than that. And I just think we're getting more and more cynical about that stuff anyway. I mean, I I go back to Jeb Bush, who I think would be a really good president. He had all the money in the world, didn't do him a bit of good, Mm -hmm. because we are seeing past this stuff. And so... I don't want a bunch of Supreme Court decisions and a bunch of regulations, all of which some intelligent people will find ways to maneuver around anyway. I say just leave it where it is and let's continue as the public to say, we don't like this, y'all. 
I don't want to see these ads. You're going to lose if you inundate me with ads that are negative because I don't like it. I just think our better angels can prevail in the long run and should, and we should just believe in ourselves more than we believe in like hundred page bills containing spending limitations. Well, I mean, I think there's two sort of threads, but I think they're very different and they run through both of the things you said. I agree. Um, I've worked with politicians and why I, I do think that at the end of the day, it's their butts on the line. And so they're not just going to be bought and paid for and do whatever their donors want because they want to keep their jobs. However, I think it's about more than just, I give you a check, you do what I want. It's, I give you a check. And so I have, I have more access to you. And so I come in and I really lay out my case and it's not that I'm being disingenuous and it's not that you're being disingenuous listening to me. It's just that what it's bought is more access to you and more chance to plead my case. And that creates a fundamentally unfair system in which people who have access to power and access to money in which to gain more access to power, um, sort of their privilege self-perpetuates. Their privilege buys more privilege, buys more privilege. So I think... Can I ask a question, though, before you move on? Yeah. Because time is a finite thing, something is always going to drive access to people, right? And so if it isn't donation money, it will be something else. I don't think there is a way to ensure that all types of people have equal access to politicians. I think one of the most affecting things I ever heard with regards to election financing was uh, This American Life, and I'll try to find it and put in the show notes. It was Eleanor Holmes Norton had left a voicemail on the messages of a lobbyist and basically was like, where's my check? That's what it sounded like. And I like Eleanor Holmes Norton, but that's what it sounded like. And they did this whole examination, and this congressman said, look, I have to raise, I think this one gentleman had to raise like $35,000 a day to keep his job. So you have a confluence event. You not only have that they they have something the congressman needs to keep their job. It's not just that they're, who am I going to listen to about my legislative priorities? It's, I have to meet with them. I have to take time with these lobbyists because they are instrumental and essential to me keeping my job because I have to raise so much money to keep my job. That's an insane, $35,000 a day is a lot of money if you're running every two years. I mean, but that's what it works out to. So you have, it's, it's, it's this overlay of their money buys access because I need their money to run. And I think that's what people don't like. I don't think they really think it's quid pro quo. I'm going to pay you for your vote. I mean, I think some people think that, but I think you're right. I think that's unrealistic and not really what's happening. But people sense that there is an unhealthy relationships that politicians have to have with money to keep their jobs. And you know, as somebody running for office, I hate that. I would love, I wish that they didn't have to do that. I think they'd all be much le- better legislator because time is a finite resource too if they didn't have to spend so much time running for or raising money. It takes so much money. And if we could sort of level the playing field and say, look, we're not going to be in these arms races to see where every Senate race becomes more and more and more and more expensive so that you are Really, and particularly eliminating people who just don't have, as politicians, don't have access to that fundraising. You know, when this is the problem that women and minority candidates have. They can't raise money on these levels. So it's there's all these layers of election financing and money involved in the system. I think it's it's the influence, it's that buys the influence, it's that politicians need it to keep their job. And so they're not bad people, but it's just the game. It's, that's what I always tell people. Don't play the hate, hate the player, hate the game. And the game is money. And people sense that and they don't like it. And, you know, 
there's got to be a better situation in which we say, you know, I agree with you. I don't think money changes, always changes things. I, like I said, if that was true, the Koch brothers would have gotten ahead and Obama wouldn't be president. And remember Forbes, what's his name, was real rich. He ran like six times, never lost, Jeb or never won, Jeb Bush. I mean, there's lots of examples of people who had lots of money and didn't win. But this this constant tension between politicians need money so people with me with money have access to politicians when the rest of us are just left hope you know hoping our call to the legislative aid and our letter gets through because we don't have the time and the money and the resources and the access that that provides I mean it's just it feels yucky it feels like the the game is not being played fairly and I think that's what people react to and that's hurting if nothing else it's hurting us because it's laying fertile ground for people like Donald Trump I think Donald Trump would be popular even if money and politics weren't such a big deal um, just because of some of the things that he's willing to talk about and the way he's willing to talk about them. I don't disagree with anything that you've said. I do think that a person who can be the president should be creative and smart enough to be willing to figure out ways to deal with this. I think the same thing of all of our legislators. I I don't buy that they have to sit in a chair making fundraising calls for hours every day. Oh, girl, no, listen. No, that's, no, that's really, I mean. No, I know they're doing it, but I think it's because they're all just accepting the game as it is instead of making a decision to change it. And I think they could change it if they wanted to change it. I really do. I mean, part of the reason that we're in this situation is because it's working for people. And it's not only working, I think it's working the least probably for people who currently sit in office. But there's a whole industry of people who make their living spending this money, right? No, I mean, that's Making true. the ads, making the commercial. I mean, I almost think the industry of politics is to blame more than politicians themselves who have bought into the idea that they have to do it this way in the way that the industry does it. Well, I mean, I, I'll report back. I mean, I, w- I did an election training. They told me they beat it into our heads. You have to do call time. When I did Emerge, they said, you have to do call time. You have to sit in a chair. Call people and ask them for money. If you want to win, if you want to have the money to spend. Now, I'm trying to do things differently. We'll see if I win. But it's hard. I mean, and it, the truth is call time does work. And you do make a lot of money because, you know, Obama's challenged it and Bernie's definitely challenging it. But it's such a big, that's a big thing to accomplish, to have a message big enough, especially if you're running in a small local race or even just a congressional race, to hit enough people and to appeal to enough people that you can get by with those small donations and not have to pull in, you know, the limit of $1,000 or whatever it is to really make it worth your t- time and to make it run. Because like you said, time is a finite resource. So, you know, I can spend three days trying to think up some creative, amazing event or viral moment and hope that I'll get a thousand ten dollar donations. Or I can spend 15 minutes calling three rich people. You know, like that's that's tough. It is tough. But I mean, it's all going to be tough. Yeah. Right. Like What are you going to face as a public servant that's not tough? And I guess I'd like to see people from the beginning challenging this. And they don't have to. They can keep doing it this way. But I'd like us to all stop complaining about it and acting like a couple of rule changes and overturning Citizens United fixes this. It doesn't. This was a problem before Citizens United. Is it bigger now that corporations and unions can contribute to super PACs? 
Yes, it is. But if that weren't happening, I promise you there would be another mechanism because too many people benefit too much. This is a buffet that feeds so much more than our representatives. And that's the real issue here. And I think the best thing we can do is continue to reject that stuff and show that it doesn't work. But I wanted to just touch on one other thing. I do think there are some, like, I think the fact that we've labeled PACs and super PACs as, like, the root of all evil ignores the very good work that's happening in the world, too. And I've alluded to this on the show before. Like, not all lobbying is bad, Mm -hmm. right? And not all... um, Issue-based fundraising is bad. There's some really important things being done and work being studied and proposed that would never happen if it weren't for people organizing in these ways. I just joined um, Maverick Pack. It's a young professionals organization for conservatives. And listening to how it got started at the first event that I attended was really inspiring to me because it basically was a group of people, none of whom... Uh, could donate at a level individually that felt like it made much of a difference. But they realized that if they started pooling their funds, then they could get more time with candidates and they could really flesh out the issues and hear what people were about. And then that process inspired people in the pack to start running too, right? So it became this vehicle for continuous engagement and for growing new leaders. I think that's really cool. And I think that's you know, not something that we want to inhibit in our society, right? So I I guess I just think that the discussion about campaign finance has lost all nuance. Is Is money in politics ridiculous right now? Yes. Is it obscene in some cases? Absolutely. But I think we have more power over that than we act like we have. Right. I do have a problem with money in the system. But something that I think is a lot less sexy but way more deserving of our attention is gerrymandering. It's a huge problem um, the way that districts are drawn so that they are drawn in partisan ways so that ideologues and extreme factions of the party get these safe seats. They don't have to be moderate. They don't have to compromise. In fact, they're almost punished for that. And... um, Interestingly enough, last year, the Supreme Court and Harris versus Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission allowed Arizona to take redistricting out of sort of partisan hands with regards to legislator in the hopes of sort of reducing this influencing and assigning it to independent commissions. I really, really hope that takes off. I hope more and more states adopt these bipartisan independent redistricting commissions because I truly believe some a huge problem with our, especially the GOP in Congress, was a very... Carl Rove-driven, purposeful strat- redistricting, gerrymandering strategy to gain more safe seats. And, you know, for the, the crazy thing is, for as unpopular as particularly the United States House of Representatives is, they're in, they, a majority of the incumbents are pretty safe. So something is wrong. If everybody's unhappy with them, but they're easily winning re-election, something is to blame. <laughs> and I don't think it's just name recognition. Well, I think that gerrymandering issue goes right along with changing the way we count votes. Our listener Mm -hmm. Griffin sent us some really cool videos about the kind of results that First Past the Post produces. And if you change to something that's more like instant runoff voting or some other alternative voting system where you are ranking candidates and saying, okay, if we take this person out, here's what it looks like. 
it does tend to produce a more moderate result, even in a gerrymandered district. Mm -hmm. And so I think all of these reforms could go hand in hand. But I absolutely agree with you. We have the Congress that we have today because we allowed them to draw the lines. So maybe we should we're, we're ending on that note, but maybe that's where we should start with election reform. Yeah, I think that the next step is like really putting some of our great American think tanks on the election reform issue and seeing what they come up with in a super public way. It is really difficult thing to ask people who've benefited from a system to change that system. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I think that the if you could have like the American Enterprise Institute joining with joining forces with I, I'm sorry, I don't know the great <laughs> democratic think tanks, but, you know, a couple of respected institutions like that with a bipartisan effort on election reform that gets a lot of publicity. I think that would be a really healthy thing. So next up in the heels, we're going to talk about favorite quotes or poems. So, April, it's National Poetry Month. Well, how perfect. So, what do you want to share, Beth? So, my favorite poem is by Marge Piercy, who I think is amazing in every way. And it is uh, To Be of Use. And I'll post it in the show notes. But I've always loved this poem because it talks about how much we need to spend our time in ways that are meaningful. It ends by talking about um, how, like, Hopi vases are put in museums, but, you know, they were made to be used. And the Mm -hmm. last line is, the pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. And I just love that. So I'm a big Billy Collins fan. He's probably one of my favorite. And I'm also a big Mary Oliver fan. And for a long time I had um, her poem, Praying. It's very short, and I'll read it taped to my mirror. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention, then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thinks and a silence in which another voice may speak. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, she's good stuff for that, Mary Oliver. Good stuff. Well, it's been fun to spend this time with everyone, and we have heard about election reform from a lot of different listeners, so tons of people influenced our discussion today. Um, Please keep those great thoughts coming. One of the most... One of the things that I think makes me the most proud about doing this show is how interesting our discussions are outside of it. So thank you all for that. You can find us on Facebook at Twitter. You can also email us. All that contact information is on our website. And until Friday's briefcase episode, keep it nuanced, y'all.